Section 29 of In the Midst of Life, Tales of Soldiers and Civilians. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Wales. In the Midst of Life, Tales of Soldiers and Civilians by Ambrose Bierce. Section 29. A Lady from Red Horse. Coronado, June 20. I find myself more and more interested in him. It is not, I am sure, his, uh, do you know, any good noun corresponding to the adjective handsome? One does not like to say beauty when speaking of a man. He is beautiful enough, heaven knows. I should not even care to trust you with him faithfulest of all possible wives that you are, when he looks his best, as he always does. Nor do I think the fascination of his manner has much to do with it. You recollect that the charm of art inheres in that which is undefinable. And to you and me, my dear Irene, I fancy there is rather less of that in the branch of art under consideration than to girls in their first season. I fancy I know how my fine gentleman produces many of his effects, and could perhaps give him a pointer on heightening them. Nevertheless, his manner is something truly delightful. I suppose what interests me chiefly is the man's brains. His conversation is the best I have ever heard, and altogether unlike anyone else's. He seems to know everything, as indeed he ought, for he has been everywhere, read everything, seen all there is to see, sometimes, I think, rather more than is good for him, and had acquaintance with the queerest people. And then his voice. Irene, when I hear it, I actually feel as if I ought to have paid at the door, though, of course, it is my own door. July 3. I fear my remarks about Dr. Barrett's must have been, being thoughtless, very silly, or you would not have written of him with such levity, not to say disrespect. Believe me, dearest, he has more dignity and seriousness, of the kind, I mean, which is not inconsistent with a manner sometimes playful and always charming, than any of the men that you and I ever met. And young Rayner, you knew Rayner at Monterey, tells me that the men all like him, and that he is treated with something like deference everywhere. There is a mystery, too, something about his connection with the Blavatsky people in northern India. Rayner either would not or could not tell me the particulars. I infer that Dr. Barrett's is thought, don't you dare to laugh, a magician. Could anything be finer than that? An ordinary mystery is not, of course, so good as a scandal, but when it relates to dark and dreadful practices, to the exercise of unearthly powers, could anything be more piquant? It explains, too, the singular influence the man has upon me. It is the undefinable in his art, 
black art. Seriously, dear, I quite tremble when he looks me full in the eyes with those unfathomable orbs of his, which I have already vainly attempted to describe to you. How dreadful if he has the power to make one fall in love! Do you know if the Blavatsky crowd have that power? Outside of Sepoy? July 16. The strangest thing! Last evening, while Auntie was attending one of the hotel hops, I hate them, Dr. Barrett's called. It was scandalously late. I actually believe that he had talked with Auntie in the ballroom and learned from her that I was alone. I had been all the evening contriving how to worm out of him the truth about his connection with the thugs in Sepoy, and all of that black business, but the moment he fixed his eyes on me, for I admitted him, I'm ashamed to say, I was helpless. I trembled, I blushed, I—oh, Irene, Irene, I love the man beyond expression, and you know how it is yourself. Fancy, I, an ugly duckling from Red Horse, daughter, they say, of old Calamity Jim, certainly his heiress, with no living relation but an absurd old aunt who spoils me a thousand and fifty ways, absolutely destitute of everything but a million dollars and a hope in Paris. I, daring to love a god like him. My dear, if I had you here, I could tear your hair out with mortification. I am convinced that he is aware of my feeling, for he stayed but a few moments, said nothing but what another man might have said half as well, and pretending that he had an engagement, went away. I learned to-day, a little bird told me, the bell-bird, that he went straight to bed. How does that strike you as evidence of exemplary habits? July 17. That little wretch Rayner called yesterday, and his babble set me almost wild. He never runs down, that is to say, when he exterminates a score of reputations, more or less, he does not pause between one reputation and the next. By the way, he inquired about you, and his manifestations of interest in you had, I confess, a good deal of vraisemblance. Mr. Rayner observes no game laws, like death, which he would inflict if slander were fatal, he has all seasons for his own. But I like him, for we knew each other at Red Horse when we were young. He was known in those days as Giggles, and I, oh, Irene, can you ever forgive me? I was called Gunny. God knows why, perhaps in allusion to the material of my pinafores. Perhaps because the name is an alliteration with Giggles, for Gig and I were inseparable playmates, and the miners may have thought it a delicate civility to recognize some kind of relationship between us. Later we took in a third, another of adversity's brood, who, like Garrick between tragedy and comedy, had a chronic inability to adjudicate the rival claims of 
frost and famine between him and misery there was seldom anything more than a single suspender and the hope of a meal which would at the same time support life and make it insupportable he literally picked up a precarious living for himself and an aged mother by chloriding the dumps that is to say the miners permitted him to search the heaps of waste rock for such pieces of pay ore as had been overlooked and these he sacked up and sold at the syndicate mill he became a member of our firm gunny giggles and dumps thenceforth through my favor for i could not then nor can i now be indifferent to his courage and prowess in defending against giggles the immemorial right of his sex to insult a strange and unprotected female myself after old jim struck it in the calamity and i began to wear shoes and go to school and in emulation giggles took to washing his face and became jack rayner of wells fargo and co and old mrs barts was herself chlorided to her father's dumps drifted over to san juan smith and turned stage driver and was killed by road agents and so forth why do i tell you all this dear because it is heavy on my heart because i walk the valley of humility because i am subduing myself to permanent consciousness of my unworthiness to unloose the latchet of dr barrett's shoe because oh dear oh dear there's a cousin of dumps at this hotel i haven't spoken to him i never had much acquaintance with him but do you suppose he has recognized me do please give me in your next your candid sure enough opinion about it and say you don't think so do you suppose he knows about me already and that is why he left me last evening when he saw that i blushed and trembled like a fool under his eyes you know i can't bribe all the newspapers and i can't go back on anybody who was civil to gunny at red horse not if i'm pitched out of society into the sea so the skeleton sometimes rattles behind the door i never cared much before as you know but now now it is not the same jack rayner i am sure of he will not tell him he seems indeed to hold him in such respect as hardly to dare speak to him at all and i'm a good deal that way myself dear dear i wish i had something besides a million dollars if jack were three inches taller i'd marry him alive and go back to red horse and wear sackcloth again to the end of my miserable days july twenty five we had a perfectly splendid sunset this evening and i must tell you all about it i ran away from auntie and everybody and was walking alone on the beach i expect you to believe you infidel that i had not looked out of my window on the seaward side of the hotel and seen him walking alone on the beach if you are not lost to every feeling of womanly delicacy you will accept my statement without question 
I soon established myself under my sunshade, and had for some time been gazing out dreamily over the sea, when he approached, walking close to the edge of the water. It was ebb-tide. I assure you the wet sand actually brightened about his feet. As he approached me he lifted his hat, saying, Mr. Ment, may I sit with you, or will you walk with me? The possibility that neither might be agreeable seems not to have occurred to him. Did you ever know such assurance? Assurance? My dear, it was gall, downright gall. Well, I didn't find it wormwood, and replied, with my untutored red-horse heart in my throat, I, um, I shall be pleased to do anything. Could words have been more stupid? There are depths of fatuity in me, friend of my soul, that are simply bottomless. He extended his hand, smiling, and I delivered mine into it without a moment's hesitation, and when his fingers closed about it to assist me to my feet, the consciousness that it trembled made me blush worse than the red west. I got up, however, and after a while, observing that he had not let go of my hand, I pulled on it a little, but unsuccessfully. He simply held on, saying nothing, but looking down into my face with some kind of smile. I didn't know, how could I, whether it was affectionate, derisive, or, or what, for I did not look at him. How beautiful he was, with the red fires of the sunset burning in the depths of his eyes. Do you know, dear, if the thugs and experts of the Blavatsky region have any special kind of eyes? Ah, you should have seen his superb attitude, the godlike inclination of his head as he stood over me after I had got upon my feet. It was a noble picture, but I soon destroyed it, for I began at once to sink again to the earth. There was only one thing for him to do, and he did it. He supported me with an arm about my waist. "'Miss Dement, are you ill?' he said. It was not an exclamation. There was neither alarm nor solicitude in it. If he had added, I suppose that is about what I am expected to say, he would hardly have expressed his sense of the situation more clearly. His manner filled me with shame and indignation, for I was suffering acutely. I wrenched my hand out of his, grasped the arm supporting me, and pushing myself free, fell plump into the sand and sat helpless. My hat had fallen off in the struggle, and my hair tumbled about my face and shoulders in the most mortifying way. "'Go away from me!' I cried, half-choking. "'Oh, please, go away, you, you thug! How dare you think that when my leg is asleep!' I actually said those identical words, and then I broke down and sobbed. Irene, I blubbered. His manner altered in an instant. I could see that much through my fingers and hair. He dropped on one knee beside me, 
parted the tangle of hair, and said in the tenderest way, My poor girl, God knows I have not intended to pain you. How should I? I who love you, I who have loved you for, for years and years. He had pulled my wet hands away from my face, and was covering them with kisses. My cheeks were like two coals, my whole face was flaming, and, I think, steaming. What could I do? I hid it on his shoulder, there was no other place. And, oh, my dear friend, how my leg tingled and thrilled, and how I wanted to kick! We sat so for a long time. He had released one of my hands to pass his arm around me again, and I possessed myself of my handkerchief, and was drying my eyes and my nose. I would not look up until that was done. He tried in vain to push me a little away and gaze into my face. Presently, when all was right and it had grown a bit dark, I lifted my head, looked him straight in the eyes, and smiled my best, my level best, dear. What do you mean, I said, by years and years? Dearest, he replied, very gravely, very earnestly, in the absence of the sunken cheeks, the hollow eyes, the lank hair, the slouching gait, the rags, dirt, and youth, can you not, will you not understand? Gunny, I'm dumps. In a moment I was upon my feet, and he upon his. I seized him by the lapels of his coat, and peered into his handsome face in the deepening darkness. I was breathless with excitement. And you are not dead? I asked, hardly knowing what I said. Only dead in love, dear. I recovered from the road agent's bullet. But this, I fear, is fatal. But about Jack, Mr. Rayner, don't you know? I am ashamed to say, darling, that it was through that unworthy person's suggestion that I came here from Vienna. Irene, they have roped in your affectionate friend, Mary Jane Dement. P.S. The worst of it is that there is no mystery. That was the invention of Jack Rayner to arouse my curiosity. James is not a thug. He solemnly assures me that, in all his wanderings, he has never set foot in Sepoy. End of section 29